Welcome to the Old Fashioned On Purpose Podcast. So there is a time in our lives that I absolutely believe it is appropriate to make something happen. You know, you're reaching for that big goal. You're doing that thing you didn't think was possible, or maybe the people around you didn't think was possible, and you just do everything you can. You give it your all, and you just make it happen. You create the thing you want to create, and it feels amazing. However, I've also realized there is a very appropriate time in our lives that sometimes we need to just go with the flow and not force things to happen. So I recently had a pretty cool revelation in this regard. It's actually related to fruit of all things. So I thought I would share this with you. I think it will help a lot of you. I'm your host, Jill Winger, and this is the podcast for the Trailblazers. The mavericks, the makers, the homesteaders, the modern pioneers, and the backyard farmers. If you're ready to boost your food security and live a more homegrown lifestyle, well, this is the place for you. So the cool thing about homesteading, but actually just really any part of life that we deeply engage in and we're open to lessons in, is that there's so many opportunities for something very simple to create a lot of impact in our lives and to give us those light bulb moments that we can then take and apply to so many other areas. And I've noticed that time and time again, whenever I'm really engaged in something, whether it's homesteading or it's riding my horse or it's growing my business, when I'm open to the lessons that are there, things just get really exciting. And so even in the frustrating parts, some of those times I'm beating my head against the wall, I'm like, this doesn't feel super fun right now. This actually feels a little bit painful. Sometimes those are actually the very best lessons for us that we can take and then apply into all the other areas of our life. So speaking of frustrating experiences, let's talk about growing fruit in Wyoming, because this has been something that has eluded me Well, since we moved to our homestead, I had grand aspirations of having orchards and fruit production. And I remember reading some different homesteading books way back in the day, and they would talk about the orchard portion of a homestead or, oh, all the fruit you can grow. And then you do this, this, and this with your fruit. And I'm like, well, obviously all good homesteaders grow an orchard. So I'm going to start mine. And I knew that, you know, Wyoming is not super conducive to fruit, but I thought surely if I try hard enough and I, you know, do everything I possibly can, then I can get some fruit to grow here. Uh, And so I tried, I tried really, really hard. I remember some of the first trees we planted here in our property. I went down to Colorado to a nursery and I'm like, give me some fruit trees. And so they sold me a couple apples and a couple pears. And I planted them, you know, they're, I don't know, three feet tall, maybe. I planted them in our side yard and I watered them. I did all the things. And two of the pears just, just died. (laughs) They just died. The first year they didn't like, didn't even make it through the winter, even partially. They just got to fall. Their leaves fell off and it was all gone. Um, The apples, on the other hand, um, they survived. Well, one of them died, but then one of them survived, I think a whole year and maybe a year and a half, but it never actually grew. If you know what I mean? Like it just was holding on for dear life to its existence. And it was like, I cannot grow bigger. I'm just going to try to, you know, not die. So it did its best. 
it gave it a good old try. But ultimately, that apple tree died. Um, and it was super sad because you know, those are expensive, right? Those little fruit trees. So um, I realized that wasn't maybe a good option. And so then I set my sights to some berries. So I got strawberry plants. I got the ones that were supposed to work good in my area. I got some raspberry plants and I put those in and I have had those plants for a good number of years. Like they've been here for a while. Um, I put them in an area of our yard. If you've seen pictures or videos, I have this little side herb garden and it faces the south and it's sheltered with our house. So it's a good little microclimate. It's extra warm and extra sheltered. And so I put my raspberries and strawberries there and I've been, you know, pruning them and weeding them and they just, not much happens. They'll send out some shoots and stuff. So I know they're, you know, they're trying to expand, but as far as fruit production, I'll get a couple handfuls every year and that's about it. And I keep waiting for there to be more. I'm like, oh, some, some year I'm going to get enough strawberries to actually make some jam or to freeze some strawberries or raspberries. And it just has never quite happened. And I do the compost, I do the mulching, I do all the things, right? And it's just not working. And so I've been really frustrated with this for a number of years because I come from North Idaho. There are fruit things growing everywhere in North Idaho. There's like you pick berry farms and I have all these memories of going with friends to, you know, raspberry patches and we'd fill bucket after bucket and there would be apple trees on the side of the road where you'd go get apples. Like I just want that so bad here in Wyoming and it just doesn't exist here. So I got really frustrated for a while and I did everything I could to try to make it happen, right? I got all the little sprays for fruit trees. I went to the nurseries and I'm like, what do I do to make these grow? And they get, sold me a bunch of stuff and I did the compost and I did the sheltered areas and I did all the things and it just wasn't happening. So I took a step back and I started to shift. And this is, this is hard for me because I have the personality, maybe you've picked up on this, maybe not, that I like to get it done. Like I'm really good at doing big things that people don't think are possible, right? Whether it's in business or it's creating stuff around our homestead, I have the ability to take a, a thought and put it into action and work really hard to make it happen. And I, and I like that about myself. But sometimes, as evidenced by my fruit journey, that isn't always the right answer. So I'm going to encourage you to think back right now. Just take a minute. Are there areas in your life that you can relate to this? Maybe. Maybe you're a little bit like me. You're good at making it happen, but maybe there are times in your life where you kind of beat your head up against the wall and it just didn't happen like you wanted it to happen. Super frustrating, right? Um, I just have to tell you this. So for those of you who, I, I when I mentioned this on Instagram a couple weeks ago, I had some folks and suggestions like, oh, maybe the acid level of your soil is wrong or you need to do this or that. And I appreciate these suggestions, but just so you know, that really the reason I know this now, I didn't know it at the beginning. The reason that fruit that I am used to, your typical fruit trees and bushes don't grow here is because we live in a ridiculous climate. We basically live in the Arctic. I mean, not really, but almost. There are no penguins here, but they're probably, they could probably live here and be just fine eight months out of the year. So uh, it's just a hard, hard place to grow. And there are areas like in neighboring towns, not too far away from us, where they can grow a little bit more, but they have a little more shelter. And we are out here on the plains. We are literally out here on the prairie. When I call my blog, The Prairie Homestead, that is not a cute little fun name. That's actually what this is. It is out on the prairie. Our wind in the winter is brutal. It is violent. It is 70 miles an hour sometimes. We have old 
time prairie blizzards, it tips over semi trucks. Like this is a harsh, harsh place to live. And so we don't have a lot of shelter. I mean, we built windbreaks and we have different things on our property that give us some shelter, but really when you're a fruit tree, it's not going to cut it, if you know what I mean. So that is why I believe that I can't get stuff to grow here that's a little more dainty, if you will. Uh, in fact, I just have to tell you this because I just feel like I should complain about this publicly. It would make me feel better, to be perfectly honest. So um, I'm recording this episode on the end of, at the end of a week. Um, I don't know when you listen to it, but it's like a Friday. It, not like a Friday. It is a Friday. That sounded dumb. It's Friday. <laughs> Let me start that over. It's Friday. This weekend, it's supposed to be in the upper 90s, like 95 to 100 degrees tomorrow and Sunday. And then on Tuesday, that is one, two, three, four days from now, we are supposed to get a hard frost, the first one of the season. I'm talking like the weatherman today said it could get down to 17 degrees Fahrenheit with a possibility of up to eight inches of snow. And you know, I've lived here a long time. I don't complain about the weather very much, or I don't know, maybe I do. I, do, I like to think I don't. I actually really love seasons. I like winter. I'm looking forward to fall this year. I like spring. I like summer. But I feel like this is unreasonable. Do you not agree? Is this not unreasonable? Can I put in a complaint to someone? 96 one day, snow three days later. It just feels extreme and also rude. <laughs> so I'm throwing a tantrum. Here is me throwing a tantrum on the podcast because I have a lot of food out in my garden. A lot. There's a lot of tomatoes. There's corn and squash and green beans. So many things. And I was really banking on at least two more weeks before I had to pull stuff out. And you know what I'll be doing this weekend? I'll be putting my green tomatoes in boxes and stripping out the poor little garden. So anyway, I'm sorry. I just had to vent. I'll be done now. I'll get off my weather complaining soapbox. But that, my friends, a frost like the first week of September is kind of why fruit trees don't grow in Wyoming. So there you go. Anyway, moving on. So I took, I took a step back after all these fruit frustrations and coming to terms with the fact that I live in uh, the Arctic, basically with the penguins and the apple trees don't grow in the Arctic, I decided, okay, that won't work. What else could work? So sometimes I've found that when we have obstacles, you know, sometimes the right answer with an obstacle is to go over it. Sometimes you go through it. Sometimes you go around it. And for me, I tried to like bulldoze this obstacle of fruit for so long. And I'm like, that didn't work. There's a concrete wall there. So I'm going to go around it. So I started to think, thinking is good. I started to think, what did the prairie people of years past and the pioneers and the settlers, what did they do for fruit, right? Now, I know some folks lived in lush, verdant areas of the United States, and they did have apple trees in their backyard, and they go down by the creek and pick pears. And I'm like super jealous of those people, but we are not those people. And so I started to think, what did the harsh Arctic prairie pioneers have for fruit? And it's kind of cool. I love food history. I just nerd out over this because a lot of the foods we have today, or a lot of the foods that we see in you know, Little House on the Prairie, or we think of great grandma or the stories of our relatives telling us what they ate as children. So many of those foods were created um, just to use up what was available. Like a lot of the condiments we have, you think about it, they were created just to have creative ways to preserve the bounty of the harvest. 
you know, you think about relish, you know, why I think relish was probably invented because some farm wife somewhere had a whole bunch of giant cucumbers and was just really tired of making pickles. That is my theory. Same with like your ketchups, right? You cook down, you have all these tomatoes, you cook down the tomatoes with some spices and you have a different way to eat tomatoes other than soup or sauce. So, so many of these foods that we take for granted, actually, I believe came as a result of this ingenuity of what do we do with this extra harvest and how do we make it a little more exciting? And so I think back to some of the recipes that I have heard, whether it's in old books or listening to things like Little House on the Prairie, like what are they talking about? And they're talking about a lot of fruits that we might not think about anymore. Things like rhubarb and currants and elderberries and choke cherries. And obviously this is not exactly a light bulb moment. I got to thinking, I'm like, you know, those people, that's what they had. Maybe they had some apples thrown in there or some, some pears or peaches or cherries. But like a lot of those folks had, especially in my area of the country, they had rhubarb, period, end. <laughs> they had currants and that was it. And so they just, rather than beating their head against the wall and trying to grow things that didn't grow where they live, they used what they had. And I'm like, that's, you know, ding, ding, ding. That's what I need to be doing. And so I started to talk to some folks. Um, I went to some local nurseries. Now it's tricky for me because we have some nearby Colorado nurseries. We're near Colorado. And I had to be careful because I would go down to a Colorado nursery and those folks were very well intentioned, but Colorado growing seasons are very different than ours. Like there is some similarities, but they don't have as much wind and harshness as we do. So I would go, this is my problem. I'd go down to Colorado, which isn't like, you know, not that far, two hours away. And I would talk to someone at a nursery and they'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, this, this tree will grow where you live. And then I would get at home and realize that was not the case. And it wasn't that they were lying to me. They just didn't understand. We live on the Arctic prairie, not the Colorado prairie, right? Big difference. And so I started to seek out some more Wyoming-based nurseries that understood, they really understood how harsh it is. And so going to talk to those folks was eye-opening. And they suggested things like buffalo berries, currants, rhubarb, choke cherries, Saskatoon berries. Um, what else did I, native plums are another one. I have a little list. Did I say elderberries? Oh, gooseberries, gooseberries. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting somewhere, right? So uh, I think it was two years ago, I invested in some currant bushes. I got two currants. I've never, I've never even eaten them before, right? I just bought them because they told me to. And a buffalo berry bush and planted them and it has been the coolest thing ever. And I guess it took me, it didn't take me two years to realize this, but I'm talking about this now because this year we got a really substantial harvest off the currant bush, bushes. Um, we have black currants. You know, it's not like a super giant stately bush. It's pretty small still, but man, I have that bush kind of in an area of my raised bed garden and I don't baby it. Like it gets water when I remember it. Um, it's not in a super sheltered place of my yard, but that sucker is so tough. It comes up early in the spring. It's, you know, hangs out late into the year. It produced so many berries that the branches were loaded down this year. And it was enough that we got enough to make a whole batch of jam, even with the birds eating a bunch. Um, just really cool. So I, it just was kind of that full circle moment as we were picking the currants, my kids were super excited because there was berries to pick. We were picking the currants and I was like, hey, we're growing fruit. 
It's not the fruit that I had originally envisioned growing, but I have still produced some fruit on our homestead. So it was just exciting. And I want, I just wanted to share that moment with you. And also the revelation that, you know, local or seasonal eating, which we talk about that a lot, that's going to look very different for different people, right? If you live in the apple capital of the world, you're going to be local apples all day long. It's not that I never eat apples, but our apples are not exactly local, right? They're a little bit further away. So when we really hone in on what is local to us, it's going to look different. And that's beautiful. That's that beautiful diversity of our diet. Uh, makes me really excited. So just a little bit about currants. In case you live in a place like I do, or I think they would thrive in more temperate environments as well, but currants are pretty awesome and they're super old fashioned. And I feel just like I'm channeling Ma Ingalls when I'm doing things with currants. I honestly didn't know much about them <clears throat> before I started growing them. So Here's a few of the little notes in case you're like me and you're interested, but you're not super familiar with them. Um, there are different varieties. There are red ones and black ones, and I think there's some other colors too, but those are the two most popular. We grew black ones. Um, they're a little more tangy, a little more sour, but they do contain more vitamin C than the red ones. And there's nothing wrong with the red ones. It's just different, right? Maybe you get one of each, grow a rainbow of currants. The, the kind of the interesting about interesting thing about currants is that they don't store very well, which is part of the reason they never are really caught on as something that you would see in a grocery store, right? They're pretty fragile. I think that's one of the beautiful things about becoming a homesteader or having a garden or growing things in your front yard is because, or is that you can grow the things that you don't have available to you at the grocery store, right? Like that was the reason we started milking cows because I couldn't get raw milk. And it was this, not just a replacement of the things on my grocery list, but actually creating more variety and diversity in our diets with the things I can grow myself. So, you know, raw milk was one, currants are another. I don't have a single idea where I could buy currants locally. I do not think it's an option, but I can grow them, right? And that's pretty special. Um, they are, like I said, they're a little bit sour, but they do sweeten up just like a sour cherry. I was concerned that my kids maybe would think they were a little bit too strong, even though I put honey in, in there with the jam and it, that's not the case at all. My family was loving it. Um, they have a lot of natural pectin. So technically you don't have to use added pectin. If you want to make jam with currants, you can do the jams, the jellies, the syrups, the pies, cakes. I got an initial influx of my black currants. And so I washed them and cleaned them and froze them until I had more come in. So they freeze really well. And then I made a big batch of jam with mine. Super cool though. Um, so just to give you a heads up, if you haven't thought of currants, maybe that's something you add to your, uh, homestead efforts. I've thought it's really cool because when you look at some of the older houses in this area, like this, old fixer upper house we recently bought that I told you about on a previous episode. The first thing I noticed when I was walking around the yard is there were current bushes everywhere, not wild ones. They had been planted at some point, probably 60 years ago, but I just got this like flashback of like, Oh, there was some farm wife before this house was in town, right? It was on the outskirts of town back then. She was out here planting these current bushes just like I do. And they're still, yielding, even though this house has been uninhabited for nearly 10 years. And I, I don't think there was a lot of landscaping done 
prior to that, but it was just really, really cool because the current bushes are still there, still doing their thing. And it just kind of gave me hope that uh, I know mine will do just fine, even with my moderate neglect. Um, okay, a few other fruit options for those of you who are like me and live in the Arctic. Um, some of these I've been growing, some of these I'm exploring. So rhubarb obviously is a big one. Not everyone loves rhubarb, but I, I really enjoy it. It's grown on me a lot as an adult. I like to mix it with strawberries. Um, you know, it's a little sour, but it's so easy. And once you get rhubarb established, it's kind of like the, the currants. You go to all the old farmhouses, right? They all have a big stand of rhubarb because it just grows and grows and grows. So it's pretty cool. Rhubarb gooseberries are one I've actually had quite the aversion to as an adult because my parents growing up had a gooseberry bush. My dad loved them and I just didn't. I didn't like the pie that he made with them. I didn't like the spices. It's just, you know, my a childhood thing that I've carried that memory into adulthood. So I've had this prejudice, prejudice against gooseberries. I am sorry to admit. So I'm going to try them again because I had a friend say, you know, once you let the gooseberries turn ripe, turn red or, or dark purple or whatever, they actually, they taste really good. And I'm like, oh, I, I thought you had to eat them green because my dad would always pick them green and make them into a pie. So I don't know much about gooseberries. Maybe some stay green, maybe some don't. I don't know, but I'm going to give it a try again because I think they're something that's also very, very tough. And I think they would do great where we live. Rhubarb gooseberries, choke cherries are one. I love choke cherry jam. I'm going to be putting in a few more of those. There's also native plums. We have native plums in our tree row. We have, some of you have asked about this, we have tree rows behind our homestead that were put in by our local conservation district. I mean, we had to pay them to do that, but they give us a discount. And one of the varieties they recommended, because it's tough, are native plum. And they have done well. We will get plums, but I've noticed the birds eat quite a few. So I'm wondering if there's a way I could cover some with nets or things just so I could start harvesting more of those. But those have done well, even with minimal attention. There's also something called a buffalo berry, which I have planted, but I haven't seen fruit on yet. That being said, the bush itself is tough as nails. And then there's service berries. I think another name for those is Saskatoon berries. Those always come highly recommended from my nursery folk and then elderberries as well. So anyway, just some ideas for you as I continue to explore these alternative fruits, I will keep you in the loop, but it was just a cool revelation. Maybe silly, right? Jill's, you know, current revelation. I don't know, but it's a great reminder that there is a time to make something happen. And there's also a time to just take a step back and figure out what works here and now. And the cool thing is oftentimes, especially in the garden, when we can work with the climate we have, instead of manipulating it and trying to make it into something it isn't, everything goes in flow. And I know there's a lot of lessons in that for all the areas of life, right? Children, working with animals, working with our businesses, right? There's a lot of lessons there. So here's my question for you as we wrap up. Ask yourself, and I'm going to continue asking myself this, what are you forcing in your life right now? What are you forcing that perhaps if you take a step back and pause and look at it from a different angle, that you could create a different or better solution with less effort or beating your head against the wall?
So I don't know the answer. You get to figure that out, but just something for you to chew on today. Alrighty, friends, if you are loving the idea of an old-fashioned kitchen that maybe has things like currants and gooseberries in it, along with lots of other nourishing food and rich memories, I wanted to tell you about my Heritage Kitchen Handbook. It's a free little ebook that I have created and packed full of my very best tricks for cooking and eating like a farmer, even if you live in the city. You can grab the whole thing for free over at www.heritagekitchenhandbook.com. Alrighty, friends, that's all I have for you today. Hey, if you have other hearty, low-maintenance, Arctic-proof fruit ideas, send them my way. Post over on Instagram and tag me. I'm very curious. I'm totally open to ideas right now. We will get this fruit thing figured out one way or the other. And if you enjoyed today's episode or a previous episode, it would mean so much for me if you could take a minute to leave a rating or review over on your favorite favorite podcast player. I read them all and they go a long way in helping other people find this podcast and bring homesteading into their lives. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you. It's so fun to chat with you each week here on the podcast and we will talk again next time. Take care.